This is Morgan Michael, welcoming you to Kindsight 101, the podcast where you'll hear from world-renowned educational leaders about the mobilizing power of kindness, together by challenging our assumptions and venturing beyond the status quo in education, we can make a big impact, one small act at a time. Contribution is, you know, our superfood. Uh, when we help each other, we not only get a hit of dopamine, we get some oxytocin, some endorphins, some serotonin. You know, if you're speaking my language, that's really powerful neurochemicals um, that will keep us healthy and strong. Dr. Shimmy Kang is an award-winning, Harvard-trained doctor, researcher, media expert, writer, and keynote speaker who specializes in how the mind works. Dr. Kang has spent over 20 years researching, treating, and working with people from all walks of life. She is the author of The Dolphin Parent, a guide to raising healthy, happy, self-motivated kids, and The Self-Motivated Kid. She's also written a new book, The Tech Solution, which outlines some positive ways to integrate tech into your life. In today's episode, I sit down with Shimmy to discuss how educators should be facing the return to the classroom during the COVID pandemic. We also discuss three mindsets that we can avoid in order to ward off PTSD during this traumatic time. We talk about contribution as a superfood. In fact, it'll actually keep us healthy and strong. And she introduces us to the three steps that can help us discuss the COVID-19 pandemic with our children through truth, optimism, and action. She also talks about grief and how we can move through it in a healthy way. I hope you enjoy this informative interview with Dr. Shimmy Kang. So I just want to start, first of all, Dr. Shimmy Kang, I want to thank you so much for jumping onto Kindsight 101 today to talk a little bit about how do we take care of ourselves as educators, how do we take care of ourselves as parents, and then how do we show up for our kids right now during this really complex and tumultuous time as a result of COVID-19. Thank you. Well, thank you, Morgan, for all your great work, because, you know, this topic of kindness is so important all the time in our lives. And now I think it's even more important. Um, so we really do need to spread this word, um, you know, with this initiative that you've started. So, yeah, we are in a really interesting time and uh, a time full of challenges. Um, and I would say that um, there's no doubt uh, we are all being very much challenged, um, you know, whether it is concern about our jobs, um, our income, our health, our loved one's health, um, just not being able to do those things that keep us happy and well, like exercise and get out and do our dance classes and yoga classes. And, um, and then the rapid change of all of this, how it happened so fast. Um, if there was ever a definition of stressful times, um, that's really where we are right now. It's really tough to get a handle on our own self-care, provided that we're being asked to stay home, we can't access our gyms. So what do you say, first of all, to the adults out there, whether they are in the education realm or whether they are simply just adults trying to function right now, what do you say to them about creating some space for self-care and what that might look like right now? Yes. So self-care is really interesting because it's always been um, a bit stigmatized, I would say. It's kind of thought as something you do after you get all your work done or, you know, what people do who have the luxury of time. 
whereas in fact, it is um, the most basic of our daily activities and it's the most most important and most powerful that, you know, and it's that same adage that you have to put your oxygen mask on first. Everybody knows it. Uh, we've heard it a million times, but that doesn't mean we're doing it. You know, I always say knowing is not doing. So this is the time and it is really hard uh, when everything is in chaos and there's so many other things we have to sort out, like our internet and Wi-Fi and computers, um, to to really schedule in that self-care time and not compromise. Um, and easier said than done. You know, I say it, but I find it challenging to exercise every day, to you know, do my mindfulness. Um, I've kind of adapted to new ways, um, and we're so, we're doing it more as a family as well, uh, which has been nice. But uh, I think that this is not something that's just going to happen and you'll figure out. It has to be scheduled in um, and it has to be done on a consistent daily basis. Love that. With intention. That's such an important piece that we don't just let the day happen to us because we won't be able to fit our own our own selves within that very busy day if we don't do it with intention. I love that point. What do you say to teachers right now because in British Columbia we have just come out of a, a not very restful spring break but sort of this this weird spring break in public school where we knew that online learning was coming our way but we were sort of told to 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 wait to wait for directives around what that might look like and I know teachers in general tend to want to have a roadmap, right? Most of us like to know what's coming and what to expect and what will be expected of us, the kind of service that we want to provide to our students. Of course, we want to give everything that we can. So what do you say to teachers who are in this place of limbo where they know that there's a lot of planning that will will need to happen, but they're not necessarily sure of the structure and what that might look like? Yes, um, you know, and I really do feel for teachers who are having to do all this um, quite last minute and they are also experiencing all the stress in their lives um, and loved ones around them. So again, first message is always self-care. Secondly, you know, uh, we've talked on the show before and my first book was kind of around the metaphor of a dolphin, a dolphin parent, a dolphin teacher, this idea of being firm but flexible. Um, and I would really tell teachers um, to focus on that uh, really uh, aspect of being clear and firm on what is it you're trying to accomplish right now uh, as you move to online learning. I would temper expectations, um, start slow, um, and really maybe think about, you know, what is the goal of the first week? What, what are you firm in there? Is it to just connect with the students to see how the platforms work, to just hear each other's voices and see each other, um, give them some hope, give them some idea of what's to come. Uh, I think being very flexible is going to be the key to get through the next few weeks. Uh, all teachers I know are very creative people. Um, you know, they work with children and um, they have a creative side. They know how to adapt to a very busy classroom. So use that same skill uh, in onto an online platform. So uh, kind of bring out your inner dolphin um, and, and simplify where you're firm and where you're flexible um, and really work on that, um, that adaptability that we know all teachers have. Love it. And when you talk about giving a sense of hope, how can we talk to our students and perhaps our own children about our current 
state of of being in the world right now without catastrophizing it or without bringing out a, a trauma or a trauma or a stress response how can we appropriately basically just acknowledge that that times are different and then provide that sense of hope what are some things that we can say to our students and to our own children right so the sign the guidelines i give for that are three things um, it's truth op- optimism and action so number one you have to tell the truth um, to children uh, we don't want to sugarcoat it or uh, they're reading the news they're listening to conversations they know use age-appropriate language simplify if you have to uh, but you know be truthful so tell them that um you know we are in you know what a pandemic means um that people will die, that hospitals, you know, are working really hard. Um, that needs to be truthful. But then very quickly move towards optimism and, and shine the light on the positive. That yes, the numbers look scary, but guess what? Uh, over 80% are, of people have mild illness and are fully recovering. And let's look at all the people who recover and let's look at um, you know, all of the positive aspects that might be happening, how, um, you know, governments are taking action and how we do have a system in place. So I think you want to have truth and optimism and then follow it by individual personal action that that student can take. So uh, tell them that, and guess what, you can help too, you know, by washing your hands, by staying, um, you're uh, practicing physical distancing, by helping your neighbor, by doing whatever it is, um, give them an action-oriented uh, task because that gives leaves them with a feeling of empowerment. There's almost I've I've talked to some of my friends about this. There's almost sort of a pendulum swing between feeling super empowered, feeling optimistic, and then swinging back to that fear and perhaps not despair, but just feeling sad about what's what feeling some grief around what we've lost in terms of our day to day and what might be coming down down the pike. And so, what do you say to to people sort of trying to keep one another up, how can we sort of be a pillar of strength, but also acknowledge that we are experiencing our own pendulum swing between between those two feelings? Yeah, for sure. Uh, you mentioned the word grief, and I think that's really important because um, there is a collective grief or loss, um, or you know even change. And we know that there's certain stages that um, are associated with that. Uh, you know, the research shows that in general, whenever there's a sense of loss, and there is certainly a loss of freedom at this point, uh, you know, we go through first denial or shock. Um, oh, no, you know, this isn't really going to happen. That was that happened in Italy. We're different. Um, so that's stage one. And then we move into anger. Uh, who can we blame? You know, is it the foreign travelers? Is it the people that aren't listening? Is it, you know, the politicians? Uh, and then we we move into this feeling of overwhelm or anxiousness. Um, and then finally, we will get to a place of acceptance, which is like, okay, what can I do now? How can I take action? Uh, and I think it's really important, as you said, to understand that uh, these are not linear stages. They don't go one step at a time. Uh, we can fluctuate through these. One day we can be in anger, the next in anxiety, the next in acceptance, and then back in denial when you know we kind of forget. And then we watch the news again and we go back into anxiety. So uh, I think recognizing that these are normal, um, normal stages that we all go through, that we're all in, um, and not to judge each other or... Um, 
be harsh with each other, but really approach people's reactions uh, with kindness and compassion. Love that. I want to talk a little bit about how this could be a potential for for creating a, a sense or an experience of trauma. How can we how can we use this experience in such a way and move through this experience perhaps in a way that it is less traumatic to us? Like are there certain things that we can do to feel the feelings currently in this moment that will help us move through this later? Because I I can anticipate that there will be people who may or may not have processed this in the moment and then later on will be traumatized, like we'll have post-traumatic stress because of this. Is there anything that we can do to guard against it or to help ourselves? Yes. Um, so when we look at kind of post-traumatic stress research, um, there's a couple of qualities of an experience that really stand out. Uh, one is a feeling of helplessness. Um, and uh, I think, so when we think about that, what we can do to guard against it is uh, feeling empowered, feeling that there's things that we can do. Uh, and that gets back to, you know, whether there are precautions against the virus, whether it's helping neighbors, whether it's, um, you know, doing your own self-care, uh, having a goal, having a, a plan intention of what you can do to get through this time is very important. Um, and it can help guard against that. Uh, the other thing is um, this a feeling of victimization, a feeling that this is happening to me. Uh, and we know that when there's a broader kind of feeling of universality, um, that can help us. And I think practicing gratitude um, is very helpful here, which is, well, yes, these this is what I'm having trouble with, um, but I am grateful that, you know, we're not as bad as, let's say, some other country, or I don't have the high-risk um, factors, or, um, you know, at least I have space um, in my home, or I have access to a computer or phone, or which many people don't have. So really kind of bringing in um, that sense of agency and a sense of gratitude. And of course, the self-care will be very important to guard against any traumatization. I want to talk about the role of tech here, because I know that you've done extensive work on the tech diet and being mindful of our the inundation and, and sort of uh, the level of tech that we have in our households and with our children. And obviously, there will be a lot of parents who are working from home who I mean, I think about myself where I have a meeting tomorrow, a Zoom meeting with my school staff, and then my husband happens to have a Zoom meeting with his work. And so we have two little kids under five, and there are certain instances where you will inevitably have to rely on technology or, or some aspect of of that to to help yourself along. What do you say in terms of maybe what our appropriate expectations around tech diet might be for right now, how we can be kind to ourselves around it, and then perhaps some ways that we could try and decrease as much as possible that exposure to tech. Do you have, do you have some comments around that? Yeah, yeah. And then this is where I think the tech diet metaphor uh, uh, can be really helpful. And so if we think of a food diet right now, uh, you know, nobody's going to say, uh, you know, even though we all might be eating a bit more comfort food and a bit more mac and cheese or potato chips or something, you know, no one's going to uh, believe that now's the time to just eat a lot of junk food. Uh, we know that, you know, healthy diet is important for our bodies and our children's bodies. So on that note, uh, we don't want to just allow our kids to consume a lot of what we call junk tech. Um, tech that is meaningless, that is mindless, that is scrolling, um, really without purpose uh, behind it. 
what we want to guide our children towards um, is healthy tech. And they are, of course, going to be using more tech in the next few weeks. Uh, so healthy tech is anything I say where you uh, create connect or care for yourself. So uh, self-care uh, technology. So, you know, it could be like counting your steps, looking at your sleep, using a mindfulness app, um, Headspace Calm. Um, Dolphin Kids, we're developing one called Spark, uh, which will have all kinds of activities in it. So that's good, healthy tech, any type of tech where you're connecting. So FaceTiming, video conferencing, you know, calling grandparents, calling and talking to friends, looking at each other's faces, really important. Um, and then any type of tech where you're creating. So instead of following, uh, let's say, a video game, you're making a video game, um, you're drawing, you're uh, making, you know, music or uh, any kind of creativity activity. So those are general guidelines. And I think that you want to guide your children more towards that um, and still limit and monitor the junk tech, even though we know that there'll be more junk food and junk tech in our lives right now. That's fine, you know, as long as we don't overconsume it um, and still be very clear on what's toxic, what's not OK uh, in your family, um, you know, whether it's certain video games or or sites. Um, that you don't want your children watching or on or TV shows, what have you. So so I think that we can loosen it a bit, but within those parameters. Oh my goodness, I love that. I love that concept of create, connect, and care because I think that's super clear. Like to me, I even think about my own tech diet and it just makes me feel a little bit better about the fact that some of those are podcasts or some of those are FaceTimes with five of my best girlfriends or we're using Go Noodle on the iPad and the kids are dancing for half an hour. So that is just so clear and I think it differentiates the different approaches and types of tech. So I really appreciate that and I know parents will as well. Before we, uh, I let you go, is there anything that you want to say to educators or to parents who might be listening to this, something that you want people to keep in mind as, as we go through the next weeks, maybe months? Yeah, well, I mean, we covered a lot, um, you know, really, again, final message of self-care, of gratitude, of uh, really contribution and contribution is, you know, our superfood. Uh, when we help each other, we not only get a hit of dopamine, we get some oxytocin, some endorphins, some serotonin. You know, if you're speaking my language, that's really powerful neurochemicals um, that will keep us healthy and strong. And I just want to give an example of contribution that I'm hoping teachers might find interesting and maybe even direct some of their older students towards, uh, which is our program, Dolphin Kids, um, started an initiative called Kids Helping Kids Around the World. Uh, and we have a lineup of tween and teenagers who are donating 30 minutes a day um, on a passion of theirs and teaching it to other children. Uh, right now, we know 80% of the world's school children are out of school. Uh, and these are live interactive classes that are going all over the world. We have quite a following in India right now, um, and they're under severe lockdown. So really um, getting kids to contribute, uh, it's, it's just heartwarming to see. Uh, so yeah, spread the word. And uh, we love to have passionate, interested kids join us. How can, how can we become more uh, involved in that if, if teachers are interested in doing that or even parents? 
Yeah, contact us um, on Dolphin Kids. Um, so www.dolphinkids.ca. Um, and we're on social media as well under uh, Dolphin Kids and Dolphin Kids Achievement. Uh, just send us a note and we have it all set up. We're just looking for, um, you know, these wonderful young, young people who are wanting to contribute. That is so fabulous. Thank you so much, Dr. Shimmy Kang, for joining me today. There have been so many wise nuggets here that definitely make me feel better about the future and at least, at the very, very least, better about the way that I can move through it. So thank you so much for that gift of time. Thank you, Morgan. I want to thank you for the wonderful reviews that you've left for this podcast on iTunes. Your reviews make a big difference in helping other educators find this show. If you think that I'm doing good work here and you'd like others to get inspired and join our 21-day kindness challenge and movement, I'd love it if you would take a minute, head over to iTunes, and leave a review. Thank you so much. This has been another episode of Kind Sight 101, the podcast. For links to resources mentioned in this episode, visit smallactbigimpact.com and click on our podcast and choose this episode number. Now, I'd love to give my audience a heads up about my new book, which will provide ideas, actionable strategies, and inquiry-based approaches to creating kinder classroom through serving the community. Subscribe to my blog for more information. Now, I would love to hear from you. What's the biggest insight that you gain from this conversation? Head over to our website, smallactbigimpact.com, leave a comment on our podcast page, or tag and connect with us on social media with the hashtag smallactbigimpact to share your inspiring story of kindness. Can't wait to hear from you.